Well, it was quite a night for Rafael Nadal last night, but it was a more disappointing day for the Aussie dollar on Friday, falling below 70 US cents. So is that its new home for a while? How will markets react to a Fed that is talking up rates? Well, there are some signs of inflation easing and consumption falling. And if last week was a volatile week, how will this week be? We've got the RBA, the ECB and the Bank of England and China on holiday because we're about to enter the year of the tiger, which incidentally signifies recovery and growth. How timely is that? Let's hope so anyway. It's Monday, the 31st of January, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. So the US dollar inched a little forward on Friday, but over the week, the DXY index was up 1.7%, which has been bad news for the Aussie dollar, losing more than 2.7% over the week, 0.6% of that on Friday. That took it down below 70 US cents, which is the lowest it's been since July 2020, even though we've been seeing rising commodity prices. The New Zealand dollar wasn't far behind the Aussie. Uh, Then the Swiss franc losing 2% over the week, whilst the pound and the euro both lost over the week, but managed to climb back a tiny bit on Friday. Still, the euro is uh, 1.7% down over the entire week last week. Australia also saw big changes in bond yields, 10 years losing 8.5 basis points on Friday, but that's really correcting the rise that we saw earlier in the week. Yields are actually up over the week, but not as much as the UK, where 10-year gilt yields rose 7.3 basis points last week versus just 1.2 basis points for 10-year US Treasuries. And equities bouncing right back on Friday. The Nasdaq climbed 3.1%. The S&P 500 up 2.4%. The Dow up 1.6% on Friday, managing a 1.3% gain over the week. But the Nasdaq ultimately pretty flat over the week. And the ASX 200 gained 2.2% on Friday as well. But to show what a choppy week it was, that gain didn't push it into positive territory. Even after after Friday's last-minute sprint, it was down 2.6% over the week. And commodities. Well, remember how I said the Aussie was falling despite commodity prices? Well, a 6.1% increase in the price of iron ore on Friday. And oil up as well. Brent was up 2.4%. WTI up almost 2%. Now, you might be bleary-eyed this morning if you stayed up to watch the magnificent game. Nadal came back in Melbourne last night. Sorry if that's a bit of a spoiler alert for you. Uh, We could probably talk about that for 15 minutes, but that's not what we're paid to do. Instead, uh, let's look at the markets with Nab's Ray Atrill in Sydney. Maybe we should start with the Aussie dollar. Is it going to spend a while now? Now it's dipped below 70 US cents. Now Because it's falling faster than the US dollar is gaining, isn't it? So what's driving that? Yeah, good morning, Phil. It is. And uh, thankfully, I'm not so bleary-eyed. Having failed to stay up to watch the the, the last three <laughs> sets of the tennis, so uh, anyway, but thanks for the spoiler alert. Luckily, I do know yeah, the score. Well, you're one of those people who went to bed thinking, "Oh, he's lost it." <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, anyway, did yeah. at uh, nine fifteen last night. Anyway, but uh, the Aussie dollar, yes, um, front and center, I think, of, of a lot of Friday's price action, alongside obviously the resurgence in the U.S. stock market. And as you note, um, very curious to see it being the weakest currency in the world on a day when the iron ore price has gone up six and a half percent, oil prices were up again. Um, And one of the most risk positive days we've had almost in the whole of January, right? With the Nasdaq mm. up 3% and uh, and the, the, um, the S&P up so about 2.5%. Have you got an answer as to why? Well, I think I have, but I won't, I'll only find out in the middle of the week. And that is to do with month end. So um, I had a look back, actually. If you go back to February and March 2020, which were the first two months of the Omicron, sorry, not the Omicron, but the COVID pandemic, when we had intense downward pressure on stock markets and the Aussie dollar was the weakest currency. Uh, and in the last two, 
two days of both um, February and March 2020, um, the Aussie fell significantly. And that has a lot to do with uh, what's known as rebalancing, where, for example, you know, fund managers in Australia who, who are long of US equities or global equities in months where you have a big fall in equities and they hedge a lot of that exposure their US dollar exposure back into the Aussie dollar, find themselves right. overhedged because the value of their underlying assets has fallen. So that may require them to be selling US dollars and buying back Aussie dollars to adjust uh, or rebalance their so-called hedges. And uh, that may have been the case on Friday. We, we will we'll only know in hindsight, of course, because if it is the case, then we might reasonably expect the Aussie dollar to bounce back a little bit back. once those pressures have worked their way through. So, and obviously, we've still got to get through month end, which is today. Um, mm. So, you know, if we get through today and, and you know, let's see what happens, particularly uh, in the London afternoon, a lot of those flows go through what's known as the 4pm London fix. Um, if we survive that without another sharp fall, then um, I'd be thinking that um, maybe this is a dip that uh, certainly in hindsight will be seen to, have, to be one to have been bought, but um, early days to, to make that, um, make that um, conclusion with any degree of confidence. So what about, uh, you know, with the uh, with China out of action this week, because it's, uh, it's a five-day holiday starting today, it's the year of the tiger. I've got that uh, Survivor song going through my head. Uh, I've, already, <laughs> I've, already penned, I've already penned I've already I've already We're penned your notes to, to my, my daily notes. <laughs> <laughs> it's the obvious one I to left. go with, isn't it? So what's that going to what's that going to do because I mean if we don't see any any movement in the Renminbi, what's that I mean how's that going to play into the fortunes of the Aussie dollar this well, week? Well, other things equal it might be good news and that's the other observation that um, I was making last week is that historically the uh, the Renminbi has been relatively strong in the lead up to the Lunar New Year, and then it's tended to be weak afterwards. I won't go into all the reasons why that might be the case, but that is certainly the historical observation for most of the last 10 years. Mm. Um, but obviously, China is on holiday the whole of the week, so the Rimnimbi is not going to trade until next Monday. Um, but obviously, if it is the case that history repeats itself and the Rimnimbi starts to lose ground, and other things equal, given that um, you know the Aussie dollar is a currency that's very sensitive to what's going on in Asia, China in particular. Yeah. If we did see weakness there that spilled into Asian emerging markets generally, then it would imply a, a fresh down, downward risk to the Aussie dollar. So um, again, a lot of uncertainty over not just today, but I think over the next couple of weeks in that respect. And uh, China's parting gift before they go off on holiday, we've got the official PMIs over the weekend. Uh, non-manufacturing was above 50 but the manufacturing number actually fell quite a bit, didn't it? 49.1. So that's quite strong contraction. So presumably that's not going to bode very well for us getting over these supply chain problems and, uh, you know, the, the problems that's creating for inflation. Yeah, no, certainly when we had two sets of numbers on Sunday, we had the official ones, both for manufacturing and non-manufacturing, and they both slipped uh, back, but both held above that 50 sort of contraction it's expansion line. One that was, yeah, it was yeah. the case in one that was 49.1, um, mm. expected to be down, but only to 50. So um, I think that'll create a lot of uh, a lot of uh, news headlines, certainly this morning. It, the case in one is, is generally considered more representative, perhaps, of the, the small and medium-sized enterprises, whereas the official ones maybe pe- pick up more of the sort of state-owned larger companies. But, um, but as you say, um, you know, a lot of those SMEs will be, you know, part of the supply chain to mm. the, the larger companies and and they obviously had a torrid month obviously you know omicron is the big the big story there for january because yeah. we've had a full month where various parts of the chinese economy have been shut down 
Um, so, you know, let's we can hope that it's a temporary thing. But obviously, China is persisting with its yeah, zero it's only COVID temporary strategy for the time being. Yeah. Um, so it's not obvious that um, this current weakness is necessarily going to blow itself out come February. Until reality bites. But on, on inflation, we got uh, the employment cost index for Q4 for the for the US, which actually wasn't that bad, was it? It was 1% up on the quarter. Well, that's pretty bad, but it's it's better than it was uh, in, in Q3. So does that mean that, you know, we can use, see that as a sign that perhaps inflation concerns are starting to ease a little bit? If we, if we saw that calm down and we saw supply chains improve, I mean, what, what would that mean? Could that cool down? I mean, I'm, I'm adding two and two and possibly getting six here, but could that cool down expectations for federation rises this week, uh, this year? Well, it's certainly possible, but too early to say. Of course, mm. the expression "one swallow does not a summer make" in terms of. So we've had one number that's come in a bit on the soft side of expectations, but it is significant in our view that if you go back to the FOMC um, press conference from Jay Powell last week, he specifically cited the strength of that employment cost index in Q3, which jumped by one point three percent against one percent in Q4, as one of the reasons they decided to accelerate the um, you know the pace of tapering on the the QE program. So um, some Fed officials might be a, a little bit comforted by the fact that that 1% yeah. still means wages are growing at an annualized rate of, uh, of 4%, but um, 4% is below inflation. So I think the other point, uh, obviously, you know, central bankers everywhere are alive to these so-called second round risks and wages. But yes, the we're not going to get a spiral upwards, is it, in, a, in, a, in other words. Well, well, infla- well, the point was that inflation was 7% yeah. in December and wages are growing at 4%. So wages are lagging what's actually happened in inflation. So I would argue that they're not directly contributing yeah. to upward pressure on inflation at this stage. Also, so, a chunk um, of it was retail, wasn't it? We saw big, like a 3% quarter-on-quarter increase in, uh, in, in retail price, uh, retail uh, salaries. And they were presumably, you know, uh, held back during lockdowns and the worst of the pandemic. So, again, that could be like a, a short term blip that we see through in the next quarter. Well, absolutely. Well, that's, you know, that, that brings all sorts of issues. And certainly down here in terms of borders being shut and, mm. and therefore not having sort of migrant or backpackers coming in uh, and maybe holding down wages, particularly in that retail and hospitality sector. So, um, yeah. you know, even if we have seen wages growth there, there is that question certainly here uh, as to whether that might be inherently temporary. So we've got inflation, you know, that question mark then, just how bad is inflation? Because we had import prices in Germany in December as well, which were lower than expected. So that, you know, another good sign. But we're also starting to see consumption going down a little bit as well. So, uh, you know, that that perhaps is is going to help with that reassessment. I mean, Neil Kashkari was interviewed on Friday and, you know, wouldn't be drawn on how many rate hacks we were going to get because he said, we just don't know. And, and you can see why, can't you? Because these figures, you know, everyone, you know, they're, they're all over the place basically. Well, that's it. And what, you know, what I liked about the press conference, particularly from, from Powell last week, was the use of the word humility in uh, quotation marks. Mm. And I think that there's an acknowledgement here from the Fed that, uh, and as you know, neatly put by uh, Neil Kashgari, we just don't know um, because there is so much uncertainty. Yeah. And, you know, central bankers have been, you know, dare I say, you know, had a worse track record than private sector economists in, in predicting just how much the the economy is going wow. to going to look Good like. Lord. And, uh, and uh, which is probably a segue to what we might hear from uh, the RBA this week, but uh, that, that's a separate matter. Yeah, before we get onto that, just on that, just on those consumptions I mentioned, because personal spending was down 0.6 percent 
in December in the United States. So Omicron's obviously sure. going to be a lot of that. Uh, and that but Omicron presumably also contributed to that fall that we saw in the Michigan uh, Consumer Sentiment Index as well. But uh, consumption down in lots of places. So uh, France, it, it grew just 0.2% in, in December. Retail sales were down 3.1% in Norway in December, down 4.4% in Sweden. So you really are seeing that Omicron effect, aren't you, amongst all of that. But interesting how in Europe we saw GDP, the figures out on Friday, rising 0.7% uh, in Q4 in France and falling 0.7% in Germany. But, uh, no, what, what a contrast. Huh? And look at the year-on-year numbers. <coughs> Excuse mm. me. You know, the year-on-year numbers. Um, you know, France above 5% and Germany, you know, barely above 1%. Spain, incidentally, even before yeah. the um, Nadal victory, grew by 2% in uh, the fourth quarter. I think that makes it the fastest growing major economy in the world in, in fourth quarter. I'll have to double check that at least. Um, but I think the story there is the China link, right? Germany's economy is far more um, in- inextricably linked to the performance of China, particularly in terms of supply chains and exports, etc. And, uh, and that's showing up uh, very vividly isn't it? But uh, we know from the PMI numbers that France mm. seemed to be weathering the uh, Omicron wave uh, far better or, you know, French um, citizens were seeming, seemingly, you know, finding ways of going out and spending far more so than, uh, I dare say, the more conservative uh, Germans, at least. And uh, um, I did see um, over the weekend that I think a lot of the European countries are sort of declaring, not exactly declaring an end to the pandemic, but effectively saying that it's no longer uh, the threat um, to a lot of European economies that it once mm. was. So whether that will encourage um, you know, a much stronger revival in, in activity, particularly in the service sectors, as we move into February remains to be seen. But um, yeah. yeah, but certainly a, a real contrast between those two Absolutely. regions. Absolutely. Living with it. There seems to be where everyone's accepted now, haven't they? And just before we move off Europe, so Sergio Mattarella uh, re-elected as the president in Italy over the weekend as well. I don't think he actually wanted the job, did he? <laughs> he wanted to step down, but they couldn't find anyone. They couldn't agree on anyone else to take it. So he's uh-huh. back. Uh, but that does mean Mario Draghi stays as Prime Minister, so I guess that's uh, that's a bit of stability there, which perhaps helped the Euro at the end of the week. No, possibly as well. And uh, you know, the view is that uh, Mario Draghi is uh, is not going anywhere as, as far as the Prime Minister is concerned. Mm. But, um, I'm hoping I'm getting the fishing rods out when I'm 80 rather than giving the president of a country. But um, anyway, that is uh, <laughs> yeah. almost par for the course in Italy, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Now, look, you mentioned the RBA because it is. Uh, we've got the RBA this week. We've also got the ECB. We've got the Bank of England. Uh, that's going to keep it interesting, isn't it, this week? And then non-farm payrolls just to round off the week. So a busy week ahead. No, it certainly is. And certainly down here, I think it's all eyes on the on the RBA. Um, you know, and to what extent there's going to have to be, you know, something of a capitulation regarding the, the views that the conditions for higher rates were not going to be in place, you know, at least until, you know, one into 2023. Um, you know, so we certainly the sort of informed media articles, seemingly informed media articles uh, will suggest that, um, you know, there'll be some acknowledgement that, um, you know, a rate rise is certainly possible in, in, in 2022. But the market is still, you know, yeah. well ahead of, of whatever the RBA is likely to deliver here. They've still got a, um, a first rate rise pretty much fully priced as early as the May meeting, at least. So, um uh, it would be surprising if, uh, if the RBA's commentary this week actually leapfrogged existing market expectations, but I suspect they'll do nothing to actually cause the market to row back on those uh, on where that money market at least is priced. But yes, we get the RBA tomorrow. We get a speech from uh, Dr. Lowe, um, I think, midweek, and then we have the statement of monetary policy with the new um, economic forecast coming out on Friday. Yeah. So um, really going to be front and centre down here. And, uh, and obviously then, you know, other than that, Bank of England, I think, widely expected to... Uh, 
to lift rates by a quarter point on Thursday, while the ECB will undoubtedly be sitting on its hands. And Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak uh, confirming over the weekend that they're going to push ahead with their, uh, their their tax hike, taking more money out of people's pockets there. And that's, Look, and, and that's before the, uh, the six or 700 quid rise in your energy prices that uh, <laughs> all the Brits are looking forward to in a couple of months on oh, top of the tax days. rises. What so could possibly today, go wrong with the economy? What could possibly go wrong, exactly. And uh, look, today, private sector credit numbers for Australia. We get Japan's industrial production, Europe's Q4 GDP numbers. We've already mentioned uh, Germany and France, of course, and Germany's inflation as well. So quite a bit to chew over today, uh, but we'll leave it there for now. Good to talk. Catch you again very soon, Gray. Thank you. Well, Dave, cheers, Phil. There is a bit going on, isn't there? Is that enough for you? If not, we'll be back with more tomorrow morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Enjoy your Monday. See you then.